Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Isaiah 66, verse 22 says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And Father, we uh, were so encouraged by that, encouraged by your word. And Father, we, we so need you. We, we cannot survive even a moment apart from your willingness to allow us to live, Lord. And our time is in your hands. This world, Father, as we, we know now, as we see, as we sense, uh, Lord, you haven't given up. You haven't abandoned. Your spirit is alive. Your throne is, is in place. You are God. You rule and you reign. And Lord, I, I pray that you would just help us and encourage us today. We, we know that we live in, in dark times. We live near the end of times, Lord, or in the end times. And we ask that your spirit would move, most importantly, in each of our hearts, first and foremost. We need you. And, and Lord, may revival begin right here where we stand or where we sit. We need you so. We need the Spirit of God. We ask the Spirit of God to revive us, to quicken us, to give us ears to hear what you would speak to us, that we might be encouraged and strengthened for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning, family. Good morning. Praise God. I uh, would like to begin by, actually, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. And we're going to be studying verses 4 through 12, and the title of today's message is The Real Power. And we need to understand, and I know we believe this in our hearts, that, that God is supreme. God is sovereign. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. And sometimes I believe that we give the enemy far too much credit because things seem to be headed in a, in a bad direction. But understand this, that, that God hasn't changed. He hasn't abdicated his throne. But what we find taking place is that the enemy has many followers. People choose to follow him rather than follow the Lord. And may there be a challenge for us that, you know, as God speaks to us through his word today, that that we would see that there's, there, there's a great need in this world, and the need is truth. Truth according to God's word. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. How we need Jesus. There's a quote I'd like to read. Uh, this the little book that I just got sent by the... Um, Liberty Council. Uh, it's a quote by Abraham Lincoln. This goes back a while. Now listen to this. And if these words were true then, you might be saying they're more true now. And here's what Abraham Lincoln wrote. He said, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. 
And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace and too proud to pray to the God that made us. May that not be us. God is the one that provides. God is the one that's sovereign. God is the one that has given us everything. I mean, enriched our lives. Talk about it. Enriched lives. Enriched lives because God inhabits these temples. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know? And we look at the world and we say, well, things are bad. Yeah, they're bad, but you know, God is good. And Christ in you is good. So, life in Christ is good. This other stuff, it's a distraction. It's a distraction by the enemy. And like I said, he has a lot of followers. But God calls us to make disciples of all men, that, they would be, that we would be Christ followers, and that God would use us in these dark days. Well, let's jump into Acts chapter 13. And when we, when we started this chapter last week, we saw how the saints at the church of Antioch, they prayed for direction. They, they sought the Lord, <clears throat> asking him, God, how can we respond? What would you have us as a church to do? And the word of God tells us that they ministered to the Lord. Remember what that meant? It meant that they worshiped God and they obeyed the things that he placed on their hearts. And they fasted and they prayed Maybe you've been considering that since last week. Fasting and praying and asking the Lord to move in your heart. If you haven't, it might be a good thing. Let me take that back. It would be a good thing. It's always good. How do I know it's always good? It's in the Word of God. They fasted and prayed, and the Holy Spirit spoke in how we need to hear from God's Holy Spirit, don't we? And here's what verses 2 and 3 say. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. Speaking of, of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, the first missionary journey. And what we see here, it's the start of the far outreach of the church. Remember what, what the Word of God says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And this is what we're finding here in Acts 13. This is the beginning of the unto the uttermost part of the earth. It started Paul the Apostle's first missionary journey. Well, let's read verses 4 through 12 as we continue here. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Isn't it wonderful that, that the Holy Ghost is the one that sent them? They didn't just say, well, let's just go. Let's go do something. No, they fasted, they prayed, they laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit spoke, and they went forth under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. And you know, you can be assured that if you're moving forward in the Holy Spirit of God, he will give you the strength and grace for all that you need. They departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus, 
And then, excuse me, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John, their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. What a wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit spoke. They went out and they began to teach in the synagogues and the word of God touched the heart of Sergius Paulus, the governor. God can reach our governor too. But Elimus, the sorcerer, that's another name for Bar-Jesus. It says, for so is his name by interpretation. He withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy, that's speaking of Sergius Paulus, turning away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, <laughs> I love this, fastened his eyes on him. It's like, you know, he's, he's staring him right in the face, and he said, oh, full of... O full of all subtlety and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished, at the doctrine of the Lord or the teaching of the Lord. And Father, I pray that you would just open our eyes by your Holy Spirit and our ears, that you would speak to us through this passage. We know that there, there's an enemy, but our God is greater. Our God is the real power. So we just commit our hearts to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul and Barnabas, they went from Antioch, and it says they went to a seaport city of Seleucia, and there sailed to an island of Cyprus. Their first stop in Cyprus was the city of Salamis, where they were visited. They visited various Jewish synagogues, along with John, it says. John, Mark, he was there to help. He assisted them. And there, in these synagogues, they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a great thing. They preached the gospel. The gospel of salvation. Now understand that Cyprus was primarily inhabited by Greeks, but there was also a significant Jewish population there too, hence the synagogues. And what we find here would become a pattern for Paul's ministry going forth and going forward. He would make his way to a major metropolitan area. These were his stops. And then he would first stop in a synagogue. And what would he do? He'd preach. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then if the Jews rejected him, it didn't stop him, he'd move on to the Gentiles. Paul would travel in a group always. And here there's a group of three. And we see in the scriptures that from Salamis, he, which is on the eastern side of Cyprus, made their way across the entire island of Cyprus. And they stopped in the city of Paphos, which is the capital city of Cyprus, and it's a city that was heavily involved in idol worship. They worshiped the goddess Venus, 
And here while they're in Paphos, they encounter this man that we're introduced to here named Sergius Paulus. He is a Roman that was sent as governor of Cyprus. So he was a man of great power, wasn't he? Certainly great authority. We're also introduced to this man named Bar-Jesus. We're told that he's a sorcerer, a false prophet, and certainly this man was tapped into the occult. He's an active representative of Satan in the, in the kingdom of darkness. Now notice he's described as a Jew. Well, I guess it really doesn't matter what you call yourself, does it? Because a tree is known by its fruit. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 15. He said, beware of false prophets. Hey, somebody was paying attention, wasn't <laughs> Paul, of course. Which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And every tree that bringeth not forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Well, it was pretty clear to the Apostle Paul what kind of tree he was and what kind of fruit was coming forth. It was wicked. His name is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, not speaking of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, but son of Joshua. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. So it, it seems to me that his parents, in naming him such, they had high hopes for him, that Bar-Jesus would carry the message of salvation, but that wasn't the case, was it? No. No, in fact, he's working and moving in the, in the exact opposite direction. He became a sorcerer. He became a false prophet. And as you know, every person is responsible for their own relationship or lack of relationship with God. You cannot be saved based on someone else's relationship with Jesus. And over the years that I've been a Christian, and certainly you too, I'm, I'm sure that you've had a chance to speak with people about the salvation through Jesus Christ. And so many have referred not to their own salvation. And if you begin to question them, and you know, where do you stand with Jesus? And you might hear things like, well, my parents were Christians. Or my grandparents were were Christians, or I was raised in a Christian home. But let me say this, there is no assurance in that. There's only one assurance, and that is the, the one that's very, very personal. It's a personal relationship. Personal, I mean one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus Christ. It has to be that way. Sergius Paulus, he became aware, as, as Paul and, and Barnabas were sharing and speaking, he became aware as he was traveling across as he was in Cyprus, as Paul and Barnabas were traveling across Cyprus. And in his curiosity, you know, he began to think, these things that I'm hearing, and he called for a private audience with Paul and Barnabas. You see, he became a seeker, and do you know what the Bible says about those that, that seek, they shall find? He was seeking. He desired to hear what they had to say, what they were teaching. You notice in verse 7 it says that he was a very prudent man, an intelligent man, meaning that he's a man of understanding, and he, he possessed the capacity to carefully examine anything and everything, anything put before him. 
He was discerning. He was able to reason things through and to draw a conclusion whether that which he heard was either false or true, good or bad. He had a great mind. But it seems as though Bar-Jesus had his ear. But what we're going to find is that he didn't have his ear forever. Verse 7 says that that Bar-Jesus was with Sergius Paulus. It seems this this crafty guy, this Bar-Jesus, has worked himself into the confidence of Sergius Paulus, the governor, and he served as one of his advisors. It's not uncommon in those days for the leaders, they had magicians, sorcerers, wizards who they would seek counsel from. And that was the relationship that Bar-Jesus had with Sergius Paulus. But as Sergius Paulus was, as I described him, a thinking man, a man with a mind that was able to analyze, a man that was able to discern, he began to think, and he certainly began to, to, uh, to discern and doubt the lies of this sorcerer. You know, sorcerers aren't going to bring the truth to you. Wizards won't bring the truth. The enemy won't bring the truth. He's a father of lies. But of course, once Bar-Jesus heard that Sergius Paulus had this audience with Paul and Barnabas, well, the devil then put a full court press on to oppose Paul and Barnabas as they began to teach Sergius Paulus. And Bar-Jesus realized that if Barnabas and Paul have any influence with Sergius Paulus, I'm out of a job as, as the advisor to the governor. So he, he felt like he had something to lose. So he hears what Paul is saying to Sergius Paulus, and he immediately recognizes that Paul's teaching was a threat to his deceptions and to his lies. Verse, verse 8 says, Bar-Jesus withstood them. So here's what he did. He tried to keep Sergius Paulus from hearing the word of God because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. He tried to keep him from hearing the word of God to keep him from putting his faith in Jesus. Well, isn't that the work of the enemy? John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Yet the devil has many followers. Destruction. Killing. Stealing. And he tries to steal the truth. Luke chapter 8, verses 11 and 12 says, Now the the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. That's what's we're, what's we're finding here in Acts chapter 13. The seeds, they're being cast and sown, and, and the devil is right there in the person of this man named Bar-Jesus, and he tries to snatch that seed away for the purpose of leading him into darkness and away from the light. Look at verse 9 says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him... I love that. He set his eyes on him. He knew something was wrong. He knew that something was taking place that was very contrary to the work that God was choosing to do in and through him. Now at this time, as he's filled with the Holy Ghost, 
And even though this is Paul's first missionary journey, he's, he's been serving the Lord for years. He's no rookie. He's seen a lot in, since his time in coming to Christ. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And praise God, because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we see things that we ought not normally see, correct? He gives us insight. He gives us wisdom. He gives discerning. He gives a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, whatever it might be. And he's filled with the Spirit of God. He sets his eyes on Bar-Jesus or Elimus. He looked him in the eye. And immediately, knowing what this Bar-Jesus was all about and what he's doing, he said, O full of thou subtlety, of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord." So Paul pronounced a curse on Bar-Jesus in a temporary blindness. And this this blindness is really interesting to me because Bar-Jesus is already in spiritual blindness, isn't he? And he's trying to keep others in spiritual blindness with him. Well, God intercepts this. And he brings him physical darkness, physical blindness too. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. That's a great, great passage. God's desire is that the light would shine, right? Shine into our hearts. Well, what's the enemy want? What's the devil want? What's Bar Jesus want? Blind. Blind to the truth. And we know that Paul had picked up on this. So as Bar-Jesus tries to drag Sergius Paulus into darkness, God says, I'm going to put you in a temporary physical darkness. That would silence him for a bit. Now remember, too, that when Saul was on the road to Damascus, he was brought to a temporary blindness, too. And in his case, it brought him to a place of vulnerability that he experienced for a number of days, and it actually did something good for him. So this is an opportunity that God has given even to this man, this wizard, this sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. God is extending grace to him, giving an opportunity to rethink some of the things that he's doing. Unfortunately, it doesn't have a spiritual impact on him, it seems. And he looked for someone not to lead him by the hand spiritually, but he's looking for someone just to lead him by the hand. I can't see, help me. You know, in Paul's case, what did he do? When he was blinded, Lord, what would you have me to do? Or Jesus, who's going to lead me? Didn't make a change. And it's very sad. Because here's this sorcerer, Bar Jesus, he's headed for hell, and he wants to take as many people as he possibly can with him. He interrupts Paul as Paul's sharing with Sergius Paulus. And as Paul observes his actions, his heart is burning now over what's happening, what he sees, and his assessment that he comes up with is exactly correct. In verse 10, he calls Bar-Jesus full of subtlety. In other words, he says, you're full of deceit. You're a decoy, a child of the devil, an enemy of righteousness. And he said, will you not cease to pervert that which is right? Listen, Paul has no problem calling him out, does he? 
He sees no need to be culturally sensitive. This is much more important than that. It's life and death. And nowadays, we feel like we need to be so diplomatic, so careful not to hurt someone's feelings by withholding the truth. So we do withhold the truth, excuse me. Paul wasn't full of political correctness, was he? No, well, Paul spoke that the, as the Holy Spirit led him. He's firm, he's straightforward, and he pulls no punches. In the New Living Translation of Acts chapter 13, verse 10, it words it this way. He said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that's good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? That's pretty head on, isn't it? He strips Bar-Jesus down in front of Sergius Paulus. He exposes him for who he is. Now, before you go and do this at a Thanksgiving dinner or a family dinner, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you want to make sure that what you want to say is of the Holy Spirit and not of your flesh, right? It's so easy sometimes just to get in the flesh, isn't it? You want to say what you want to say, but God, is this what you want me to say? Well, clearly it's what he wanted Paul to say. It may not be what he would have you to say at a family dinner. But then again, maybe it would be. I don't know. You pray. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and, and he spoke accordingly. He was direct and clear in dealing with the demonic realm. We don't have to be kind to the devil. He's not kind to you. He pretends to be, but he's not. He hates you. But it's kind of refreshing what we see here. Paul isn't upset because he's been interrupted. That, that wasn't it at all. He understands the power of the gospel. Paul understands that there is a place called heaven. He understands there's a place called hell. And he understands that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. And he understands the danger that lies within the demonic realm. That's why the warning he gave. He values the human soul. He valued the interaction he had with Sergius Paulus. And now that he has this opportunity, as he's been faithful to share, and the Holy Spirit of God began to prick Sergius Paulus' heart, he's being interrupted by this instrument of the devil. And it comes out of his zeal for God and his love for Sergius Paulus. And as you can see here, it just comes boiling out of him as the Spirit of God leads him in the face of someone who would stand against the soul coming to Jesus. He isn't interested in ecumenism here, not in the least. He's not trying to find some, some middle ground between Venus worship and, and true biblical Christianity. He's not saying, well, how, how can we work this out together? No, there's one God, there's one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. And apart from worshiping Jesus, there is no salvation. But let's face it, we see far too much of it these days. Oh, let's just all just kind of get together and, and sing kumbaya and, and, and just be in some kind of unity. Unity over what? 
Yeah, we're to love one another, aren't we? We're to extend our hearts with the love of Jesus. Amen. And yes, we are. But we can't be blending lies with truth. We can't do it. We can't blend lies with with truth and expect it to do anything good. It's like mixing poison into a milkshake. Anybody like milkshakes? I love milkshakes. But I wouldn't mix poison in with it. Might taste good, but what? It's going to kill you. And this is what happens when we mix lies with truth. We do need to be aware, however, that a sledgehammer-type gospel is probably not so effective. Has anybody ever tried that? I have. And I'm the only one. (laughs) There's two of us here. Three, okay. We've tried it. It doesn't work, does it? No. What we need to do is just to be able to listen to people and their perspective so that we can gain the right to speak truth into a person's life. Many people today, however, they're silenced by the culture, silenced by the pressure, canceled by the culture. But how can we be effective in sharing the gospel if we're silent? We can't be. And I don't care who tries to cancel us. You know what? The gospel will not be silenced. It can't be silenced. Because if the gospel is silenced, it means that God has given up. And God has not given up. He desires that none perish and all come to repentance. There's a quote by a man named Edmund Burke who said, the only thing that's necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. How true that is. What was the result then of Paul's ministering to Sergius Paulus? He became a Christian, impacted by the word of God and the miracle of the blinding of Bar-Jesus. Hallelujah. God was on the move, wasn't he? You know what, family? God is still moving. God is still moving by his Holy Spirit, drawing sinners to the place of conviction and repentance. But let's look at some things that we can learn from this passage. First, what we see is a struggle for power. It's a collision of two kingdoms that are directly opposed to one another, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, which is the kingdom of the devil. And what we see here in this passage is a physical manifestation of both of these spiritual kingdoms, physically and spiritually. You know, Paul the Apostle touched on this He did more than touch on it. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but it seems like it sometimes, doesn't it? But we have to look beyond it. We have to look a little bit deeper. What's the source of it all? Well, he tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. We can't forget this. And we can't forget, family, that this is a spiritual battle that we're in. So what do we do? The scriptures tell us we put on the full armor of God. And any Christian that's engaged in the expansion of the kingdom of God through the gospel will come to realize, as you have, that the enemy is alive and active and opposing the truth. 
Speaking of the devil, Jesus said this. In John 8, 44, it says, He was a murderer from the beginning, and there abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So clearly there is, there's a, de- a demonic realm. There is a, a Satan that's real. His demons are real. His lies are real. His destructive patterns are real. We see it all the way around, don't we? We see it everywhere today. But you know what? His demise is real. And as with Bar-Jesus, he wants to bring as many as he can to destruction. You see, he knows his end. And he, he, yes, he believes in God because he's encountered God. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And some people say, well, I believe in God. Well, so does the devil. Is the devil saved? No, never will be. So belief in God isn't enough. It's faith and trust in believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You know, there's not a demon that's an atheist or an agnostic. They all believe in God. Atheism and agnosticism is solely for human beings. That's the choice that we make. Now, it's important to realize that the expansion of the kingdom of God always happens at the expense of the kingdom of darkness. Always. And as a result of this, there will always be a conflict or a battle or a spiritual warfare going on. And you know what? Satan doesn't give up easily for what belongs to him. And when you and I, we share the gospel in any form, it's always so much more than what's taking place in the physical realm. Because we can't see exactly what God's doing. We can't see the forces of evil around a given person. Sometimes you can. A lot of times you can't. There's always a spiritual demonic power that's working against the power of the kingdom of God, always. And it should be no surprise to you that as you begin to share with someone that you're interrupted. Has ever happened to you? There it is. <laughs> that, listen, that was not staged. <laughs> that was not staged not by us anyhow (laughs) perhaps by the enemy we get interrupted yeah yeah the phone rings you know you're talking to somebody all of a sudden somebody comes in from the side did you ever hear this or yeah it happens doesn't it just like with paul and sergius paulus being interrupted by bar jesus So it should be no surprise to you that you're going to meet resistance. It's going to happen. You may not see it, but you may see the result of it. What else can we learn in this passage? It's that spiritual warfare in our lives should never be a source of fear or anxiety. Why? Why? Because the kingdom we are a part of is the kingdom of God. It's not like the kingdom of God has just a slight power advantage over the kingdom of darkness. God is infinitely greater than the enemy. Infinitely. 
And the kingdom of God is infinitely greater than the kingdom of darkness. Hide this verse in your heart. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Listen, not just, not just a little bit greater, but infinitely greater. But sometimes it doesn't seem that way, does it? Why doesn't it seem that way sometimes? Well, it's because our flesh wants to cooperate with the devil. Our sin nature desires to cooperate with the devil. Romans 7, 16. And this is Paul the Apostle. He wrote this. He said, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I don't find it. Paul struggles with the same things that you and I struggle with. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. And in the NASB version of that, it says, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. In other words, he wanted his body to become under subjection of the Holy Spirit of God so that he wouldn't do the things that maybe in his flesh he wanted to do and desired to do the things he should do by God's Spirit. And he said, this is self-discipline. He said, I'm not going to allow my body to rule over me. That's the age-old battle, isn't it? Flesh against the Spirit. Now, one final point here. Notice that this battle centers on one thing. Truth. The Word of God Paul is declaring the word of God to Governor Sergius Paulus. Bar-Jesus withstood them, seeking to turn Sergius Paulus from the faith. The word that Paul was teaching, you know, this kind of thing happens when we share Jesus with others, especially in a group. Again, it's a distraction, an interruption, isn't it? Q? No, not this time, huh? Sometimes a person would try to discredit the truth of the Word of God. And when a person does that, it, it's much more than physical. Here's what it is. It, it's two kingdoms colliding. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And you know, family, you know that the devil isn't going to throw in the towel. He fights for his possessions. And when he does this, when it happens, don't get all worked up. Don't get angry. Ask God's Holy Spirit to fill you so that you will say exactly what he would have you to say. Stay focused on the truth. The battle is over the truth and for the truth. It's not about you. And believe me, I have made this mistake before where I begin to share with somebody and all of a sudden I don't like what they have to say, rejecting what I have to say. And man, I've gone at them with both claws, both hands, but claws in both hands. <laughs> And afterwards, like, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart. What are you doing? What are you doing? You turned him away rather than inviting him in with the truth and leaving the results in my hands. You see, when I take matters into my hands, you know whose hands I'm removing them from, right? They're from God's hands. It grieves me to think about that. 
think we have to become better at listening to what others might have to say. Whether we agree with it or not, we need to listen so that they know that they mean, they mean something to us. That they would know that we love them, that we care about them, that we value their life, that we value the relationship, whatever it might be, as big or as little as it is, and we don't just write them off because we disagree. You know, when it's, think about the, the life of Jesus Christ. People disagreed with him all the time. And sometimes, yeah, he had to walk away. But he was never disrespectful or unkind. Certainly we know he had a little different matters with the, the Pharisees who stood against God's people and took advantage of them. He doesn't take kindly to that. We need to love them and bring the truth. And you know, as I think about it, many times disagreement is a result of just not understanding. And I know that when folks shared with me before I came to, to the Lord, I, I just didn't understand. I don't understand what you're talking about. I, I think I'm fine the way I am. I've got my church. I attend it often, frequently. I got my beliefs. And you're telling me something that I just don't get. Yeah, I've got a Bible. It's, it's right there on our coffee table. Do I read it? No. Why do I need to read that? I didn't understand. You know, one thing we, we must understand when we share with someone is that person is being wrestled back spiritually by the enemy. There's a battle going on for a life, for a soul. So as we share, we must also be in prayer, asking God's Holy Spirit to open up their heart to the truth that Jesus loves them and he desires to save them. That's God's heart. You know, sometimes you, you might think, well, can I actually talk to someone and pray at the same time? Y yes, you can. God, give me, give me the words, give me the words, give me the heart. Let me take what they're saying. Lord, you sift that through, you rearrange it in my heart so that I can respond in a way that's pleasing to you. It's so important to pray for sensitivity in God's spirit to work in my heart as I'm sharing with others. Because I don't want to get angry, I don't want to get upset, I don't want to get offended. It's not about me. Another thing, too, we need to understand is we will never intellectualize a person into the kingdom of God. You'll not impress that person with your knowledge of the Bible. But your knowledge of Christ and the heart of Christ is a different matter. You may not impress them, but they'll see something different in you. It's about bearing witness for him bearing witness of the truth that you and I declare. It's the word of God in your heart. Romans 1.16, Paul said this, 
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He said, for it is the power of God. Notice he didn't say it's my power. No, he said it's the power of God. Not the power of of Paul's arguments. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he would write to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but where? But in the power of God. That's where it has to come from. Paul realized this has to be about God's word and not about me. And you know, something else, God doesn't need a formula. And we know that the gospel, I'm not going to call the gospel a formula. But sometimes people develop formulas, they formulate things in their mind. Well, I'm going to do it this way, I'm going to say this and they'll say that, then I'll say this and then he'll say that. No, no, you don't, you don't need that. You need the power of God to respond to the truth that God has placed on your heart, that you can express that to someone else. It's his power, his authority, his truth, and his salvation. We need to trust in God's power by God's Holy Spirit because he is the one. God is the one that is most toward the lost. He's the greatest evangelist. He said this in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, and that all should come to repentance. That is God's heart. And he yearns for the lost much more than we do. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. To come to the knowledge of what? The truth of God's word. His desire is that all men are saved. What a heart. You mean that guy that just got jailed for murdering his wife? Yes. When he says all, God means all. I don't have that heart. I fall way short. But God has that heart. And I'm so thankful it's not up to me. I'm so thankful it's God's work. Aren't you? Our role is to bring the truth. What did Paul do? He brought the word of God, which is the word of truth. Bring the truth in love with compassion. But we need to also bring it unapologetically, don't we? Without compromise, without excuse. You see, that's our part. And then, of course, when we do our part, God does his part. He convicts of sin and brings that person to salvation. You see, there is power in the word of God. The sword of the Spirit. And you know, when you're in the battle with the sword, you don't, you don't talk about the sword. 
You know, a soldier in Roman days, they would, oh, look at this sword, look at this thing. You don't have to defend the sword. The sword does what it does. You don't polish a sword, you use it. And the sword does the rest. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What else do we need? And, you know, we can analyze the situation. We can try to figure out what to say. But you know what? The Word of God stands by itself, and it is powerful. And today we stand in this battle where the kingdom of darkness and the, and the God of this age, Satan, they're fully determined, he's fully determined to be the sole definer of truth, isn't he? He wants to define truth. And he's trying to. But not only does he want to define the truth, he wants to define the rules for defining truth. And it's all false. It's all a lie. As we look at the rules that are placed upon the society and those that create those rules, we see evidence of the kingdom of darkness, don't we? Not in every place, but a lot of what we see is evidence of the kingdom of darkness. And those that make those rules, <clears throat> you know that they're not biblical Christians. Why? Because only Christianity is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Only Christianity. It's a threat to the kingdom of darkness. It's a threat to the enemy's lies, to his deceptions, just like Bar-Jesus. So don't become discouraged or surprised because you know the truth. You know the truth. And Jesus said, the truth shall make you free. But what am I to do? Well, listen, family, stand strong in the battle. You have the sword. You have the power of God's Holy Spirit in you. And if you have God's Holy Spirit in you, you always have the upper hand because the kingdom of darkness is no match for the kingdom of light. No comparison. God has the right to be part of every conversation that takes place. Every conversation that you have, God has earned the right to be a part of that. And we're his voice. And we are in the battle that's been going on. The battle isn't new, family. It's been going on since the Garden of Eden, hasn't it? Has God said that? Did God really mean that? Now take that and multiply it over and over and over and over again with big magnifiers and you know, sound magnifiers. But you know, that's nothing compared to the power of God's voice. Nothing. The battle is between truth and lies. The battle is between light and darkness. I'm so thankful we're on the winning side, aren't you? And as I look at, at this book, at the Word of God, I see that God has the victory over and over and over and over again. And when I look at the last book of the Bible, I see that the kingdom of darkness will be destroyed. Satan and his demons... There's an end game. They're described 
as God gives the victory in, in the final analysis, it says that Satan and his demons are dealt with. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And we can take a look at the very last two verses in the Bible. In Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21, he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You see, family, the, the sweet smell of victory is ours. It's ours. The enemy has an end date. He's, he's going to be cast in a lake of fire forever and ever, tormented day and night. So you don't have to worry about him. Let him not be your focus. Let the Lord Jesus Christ be your focus. Let the Holy Spirit of God continue to work in you and through you. He wants to will and do of his good pleasure in you that you can share the truth with others. And yes, there will be opposition, but you know what? You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have the power of God's kingdom right here. Acknowledge it. Trust it. And let God use it, okay? Let God use it for his glory and for his purposes. And listen, family, it's all, it's all to God's glory. You know, as, as try as we might, we can't save a person. I've heard people say, I saved so-and-so. I said, you did not. <laughs> Unless you pulled him out of a, the, the, the lake or something. <laughs> we can't save anybody. We're just... We're just instruments in God's hand with a sword of truth to bring before others, not to slay them with it, but bring it to them in love that they too would come to Christ. So Father, we come to you. And we thank you that we are on the winning side. And if we were to summarize the whole book of the Revelation, we could say God wins. And we are the, the wonderful, blessed recipients of the victory that, that you've given us over sin and death through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, uh, as we, we consider what took place in the book of Acts here, chapter 13, that same authority that, that Paul the Apostle had, we have, we have that same authority. We have the authority of the word of God and may we not back off in bringing the truth and bringing it in love with compassion and grace just like you you do for us. Pray that you would use us to encourage others, to bring them that which you desire in their heart as that, is the, that the truth of the word of God would bear upon their heart that they too would come to you and be saved. And Lord, I do pray too, if, if there's any that, that hear this today, and realize that there's been a battle for their soul going on. A battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. May they realize that you are the victor. 
And you've provided the way of victory through your son, Jesus Christ. And our prayer today is that they would bow before you and confess you as Lord and Savior, that they would receive forgiveness of sin and make that declaration that they now belong to you, purchased with a great price, trusting in a finished work of the cross, trusting that, their, that your shed blood, Jesus, was shed for them and has taken away all of the sin. We thank you, Lord, for your, your great love that brought us to this place today where we can acknowledge your greatness and acknowledge your love and acknowledge that you and you alone are the God of salvation. Encourage us and strengthen us for your purposes. Please, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.